Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. Today we are joined by Shotokan instructor, Tim Keel. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm doing fine, thanks. So, Tim, I actually first met in, I believe it was 1990, um, was uh, my first experience with Shotokan. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But first of all, with, with Tim, now where did you first come upon martial arts? At what age and kind of what drew you to it? Well, I was 18. That was uh, many years ago. And stumbled across it. I heard it, I wasn't living in the St. Cloud area, but I heard it was just starting up. So um, I started making trips back and forth and uh, just kind of fell into it. No, uh, no big story or uh, <laughs> any secret motivation. It just, uh, just kind of happened. And that was uh, in uh, early 73. And was Shotokan your first and only style? Have you studied yes. any other styles? Yes, no. Shotokan was the only one that really interested me. Um, it was very technique orientated and you know, the timing was right. Everything worked out. So it just took off from there. And then how long before you kind of decided or came to the conclusion that you, you wanted to teach? You know, did you start assisting it as yeah, a lower belt? I started belt? assisting, you know, after a couple years in. And then my instructor had moved away. And then back then, this is now, you know, the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't much around. So I started teaching a class. And then um, I had some the professionals that watched me teach and took some classes and encouraged me to go on. So I just decided I will be a professional karate instructor. <laughs> there was, there was no book to uh, tell you what to do. So I just um, bought a, you know, $5 briefcase and a suit and went around and, and uh, introduced karate all over central Minnesota. I was the first professional instructor. So then back then I introduced classes in, uh, Hutchinson, Wilmer, Brainerd, Alexandria, and I had clubs in those towns for many years. And then from there, I developed other instructors. So uh, we had like, you know, at a point we had like 18 towns going on with classes. And you were part of one of those satellite Mm -hmm. clubs as well. So it just kind of blossomed from there. So when you first started doing that and branching out, were you yourself going and teaching in each one of those cities? I was, yes. Wow. Um, That must have been quite a commitment. Yes, I was... uh, yeah, four nights a week I was on the road, and then I taught locally. So, yeah, I was teaching six days a week. Sometimes I was teaching, um, and then I had some day classes, and uh, I was sometimes teaching 25, 26 classes a week, which was really too much. That's quite, and, a, quite um, a bit. You know, when you're all revved up and you're young, you can do it. <laughs> you're indestructible when you're young, yes, obviously. exactly, yeah. So about how long did it take before you started? Now, did you wait until they were black belts to let them start teaching? Or did oh, you? yes. No. So how long did that on average take before you could take a little break and let someone else take over? Well, you know, I, I turned it over to people. And it was kind of, they were more assistants. Mm-hmm. And then um, as time went on, actually, in some of these towns, because these guys, uh, most of them were young professionals, young, married, developing families. So it was hard to keep instructors. That was the big problem. 
And so things kind of dwindled down because I, I couldn't do it myself. And some of the towns that I, I turned over to other instructors that I was, was frequently teaching, mm-hmm. um, after a while, the students that were accustomed, you know, as you know, once you have your instructor, it's hard to follow someone else. So right. it didn't always work out as good as I thought, but I did have some good instructors. So how many branch schools do you currently have right now? Well, now I'm just in, um, in Sartell and Little Falls, and we had a class. And the last few years, I, I dropped most, most of my programs. So this last year, it's just been Little Falls in the St. Cloud area. So then back then, like the 70s, early 80s, what are some of the moments you remember that kind of helped? Is there certain things that happened where you saw growth specifically? I know for some people, certain movies come out. You know, obviously, there's people that flock to a martial arts school with like The Karate Kid, obviously, or Kung Fu, the TV series, or Ninja Turtles, or Power Rangers. I mean, did, did you see a lot of those booms in your school? Well, yeah, because back in the, you know, in the 70s, early 70s, there were very few children classes and it was mostly of course adults of all ages but then in the early 80s things started picking up offering kids classes i i do think for sure the karate kid did help things i remember that era but other than that i can't say anything in particular i know for me the whole reason i found your because I, I grew up in little falls and at the time we only had one school in town we had a, a tongue Sudo school and i'd done that for a few years and, and was looking for something else and the whole reason i came across your school in st cloud i started it was you know the the karate movie boom of the 80s you know van damme and seagal and chuck norris and i remember really be enjoying jean-claude van damme and looking into him and found out that his original art he studied was shotokan i'm like oh i got to find shotokan so i can't remember how if it was a phone book obviously there was no internet back then <laughs> and i found a shotokan school yeah. so i actually went down and i still remember i was all set to join and it was i was going to join the day turned 16 so i could start driving myself to st cloud and i blew my knee out the day before my 16th birthday and I had to wait i don't know if you i mean obviously you probably don't remember but when i started class i had a full knee brace on and everything but oh no i don't recall yeah yeah but and, i mean I, so i ended up pushing it back almost a year before i could start shotokan lessons which was depressing for oh, a young kid it's too bad yeah it was it's the same type of thing it was because of a movie i found him and, and looked him up and stuff like that and like, oh he did shotokan Obviously, what he does on screen isn't Shotokan anymore. He, he got into a lot more yep. stuff. But I also remember with your school, that was the first school I ever saw a Makiwara board in. Oh, yeah. I remember I tried making one. I think the first night after one of your classes, I tried making one at home, which obviously didn't turn out too well. Do you still use that in class? I don't where I'm at now just okay. because um, I don't have my regular dojo. I just rent space um, at, a, uh, at a dance studio. So we can't really use a Makiwara, but... Um yeah, that Maki, those Maki Wars took a lot of hits back in the days. <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah, used a lot of hands, too. <laughs> now, with a lot of people, you know, maybe that aren't familiar with Shotokan. Now, do you guys do, it's a very traditional style. Do you guys also do competitions, too, if I remember? Yeah, we do. Um, although it's it's really the last five years, it's, it's really slowed down with the competition. You know, I had some, some problems, too. I had a knee problem about four years ago. And had to have some procedures, and then I had to take some time off, and that slowed things down. And then different clubs, it's just hard to find uh, really good clubs that you feel comfortable with, safe with, judges that are fair and not prejudiced, and it's, it's, kind of, it's gotten to be a challenge with the competition. Different rules and, and so on, different ideas of how to score, and, you know, and doing katas and what some people call patterns. Mm-hmm. It's hard to appreciate sometimes other styles because you just go like that doesn't look right and then they'll get a high score and it's just sometimes you don't get it as being from a traditional background yes 
you know, the, the uh, going back with me, um, back in the, oh, like about 1980, well, actually before that, in the 70s, I went to uh, Denver and trained with Yataka Yaguchi, one of the early uh, wow. masters in, uh, in the U.S. And then years later, I formed a relationship with him. And then eventually he started, this was then the ISKF, International Shotokan Karate Federation. He was coming quarterly and doing rank exams and seminars. And then through him, which I owe him a lot, he's now retired as well, but he was connected with the Japan Karate Association. So two times in the 80s, I was able to host seminars with uh, Master Nakayama, who was one of Master wow. Funakoshi's uh, students. Master Nakayama at the time was, well, yeah, at the time he's passed also, but was the highest ranked traditional karate master on earth. And he had like 10 million students under him. And here he was in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Wow. And we had him twice. And it was a big deal. I mean, uh, we, we promoted it and we had um, hundreds of black belts from all over. Well, then after that, uh, I also had uh, Tanaka, who was a world fighting champion from Japan. He mm-hmm. was here several times. For people that people that know um, traditional Shotokan karate would, would appreciate that. Um, Master Osaka, who is, if you look in the best karate books from the Japan Karate Association, he's one of the main uh, demonstrators. So he was here. So through that, we we were quite fortunate to have some of the top masters in the world into mm-hmm. uh, into St. Cloud, Minnesota. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. That was a big deal. Imagine your students really appreciated that too. They did. I mean, and, um, you know, I look back at it now and people will go like, I don't think they really knew how big of it was, you know, now as, as things have changed and a lot of things have organizations have split up and splinter groups and whatever. But at the time, these were the, these were the real McCoys, you know, the early guys like master uh, Nishiyama. There were two main masters from the Japan karate association. Nishiyama came here in the, early 60s from Japan. He did West Coast. Okazaki, Mr. Okazaki, uh, was East Coast. And um, and I spent time, I was able to spend time with those gentlemen as well. In fact, in January of 76, Haidataka Nishiyama did a Midwest tour. And then he came to St. Cloud and he was, this was coordinated by Robert Fasaro, who was mm-hmm. the first instructor in Minnesota. And Mr. Nishiyama came and did a tour through St. Cloud and did our the first black belt exam ever in this area. And there was a number of people. I was the only one that passed. So I was actually the first uh, black belt ever awarded in the in this area. Wow. So that, that's unique. So I had a lot of a lot of history. It was it was big time, big stuff going on back then. So but on average, like how long does it? Cause I've, I've seen black belt tests from multiple styles. I don't know if I've ever witnessed a Shotokan one that was, uh, like how long does a Shotokan black belt test last? Can you tell some of the stuff that's involved in it? Well, you have the three main, you have your Kihon, which is your basics. Mm-hmm. You first demonstrate all your basics and they'll, they'll give you certain combinations to do. Um, check your form, you know, in your condition. And then the other part is, so it's Kata. And then you have the, your, your, uh, you know, what you'd call the form. Mm-hmm. And you have like a chosen kata that you would do. And then there's a number of, there's different categories that they have to choose from that you don't know what they're going to choose, which gets more complex as you test into higher levels. Right. And then you'd have different forms of kumite where you have, you know, one step, very, very controlled, show your skills, and then you have some free sparring. 
But the actual exam, I mean, if it's all put together, it's maybe half hour. Okay. That's not bad. No. Okay. So then as you go on and get into higher ranks, are the tests more physically demanding also? Like, you know, compare like your fourth or fifth degree to your first, first degree, how much more difficult as far as just physical physicality? Yeah, they are more difficult because they're, they're much more technical and your, your katas are, are, are longer and more intricate. And so you put a lot of study in because sometimes you don't know what they're going to choose. So you can't just pick the one kata you're going to do. But then in the later, when you go fourth and fifth degree, then the, they usually, and it depends on your age, but generally speaking, it's a very, it's a very uh, much an endurance test. Okay. You can spar until, until you can't hold your arms up anymore. Wow. I mean, I've seen people, you know, <laughs> drop down, puke, everything else. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it gets pretty intense. And that's just an old Japanese tradition. That's just the way it is. Kind of fun. <laughs> Some old school. Is it still that way then? Yes. Now you're currently seventh. Seventh degree. Okay. And how, how many years ago did you get your seventh? Uh, that's been about five years ago. Okay. And uh, do you have to travel for your test or do they come here? Um, not anymore. This this last my last rank was awarded by an organization in Minnesota because the Japanese well I shouldn't just say the Japanese the Shotokan groups have been the last 10, 12 years have broken up a lot. Okay. And now people that are running you know certain organizations they're of lesser experience <laughs> and definitely lesser experience than me and other people. So so we formed our own board of directors and create exams. Okay. Have you ever had to travel out of the country? Have you ever had to go to Japan to test or? Denver, uh, Philadelphia camps. Usually tests a lot of times take place when there's a a national tournament. So in which, you know, I used to compete a lot back and, but there was, you know, Philly and Cleveland and Denver and LA and uh, Miami and Chicago and wherever all Mm -hmm. over. So I did a lot of traveling for competition, uh, Canada. In the early days, those are real rough tournaments, real rough, because there was no protective equipment. Oh, none at all. Oh, none at all. And for one thing, you had to be very skillful. You couldn't just throw your foot out there and and and, and or your hand or punch because there was no protective equipment. Mm-hmm. So you had to be skillful, get the point in, and uh, try escape without getting hurt or hurting someone else. But that being said, there was a lot of people getting knocked out, teeth knocked out, broken arms, broken legs, because there was no protective equipment. Was it considered full contact also no, then? No, it wasn't. Okay. It was rougher than what full contact is today in some places <laughs> just because there's no protective equipment. Right. And when did the protective equipment come in? I, I, even though I know when I started, it was minimal. It was like the, the white foam. Hand yeah, hand pads. Yeah. yeah. I suppose in the eight, well, we had to start doing that in the 80s when we got kids involved. Oh, okay. That was the big thing. That makes sense. Yeah. And then insurance companies started to require it and so on, which, which only made sense. It only made sense. But yes. we were... You know, the traditional uh, Japanese karate back in the day, that was uh, was pretty rough stuff. And I suppose you break too many students, you run out of them, so right. you don't yeah. want to do People that. Get hurt. That's no fun. Yeah. So what was your favorite part about competition for you? Oh, I don't know. I uh, It was just like everyone thing else. Everybody, you want to have your good day, mm-hmm. want things to be on, you want to get in, get out, get your point, not get hurt, not hurt someone. Sometimes... But it was fun. I mean, you, you get revved up, the adrenaline's flowing, and and when it's when it's working, and things you can just see things. If you're trained for a long time, and you can just right. feel it and see it before it happens, and that's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, which you don't get that often. I mean, it it happens. 
but uh, you kind of look for that. So with Shotokan, did, do you also have competition for, for kata or just for sparring? Oh, no, kata. Okay. And kata, is a, that's, that's is, is, uh, as heavy as, as, the, as the sparring. I mean, as far as winning a kata competition, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Because that's a big deal. You know, there's because there's no chance. I mean, when you're kumite with another person, something can happen with him, something can happen with you, and then you luck out and get the point. When you're doing kata, you're out there by yourself. It's all you. It's all you, baby. Yep. You got to make it work. I've always appreciated traditional kata, you know, versus you know, some of the more modern ones. Not as impressive. I mean, it's, some of them are fun to watch. They're a little more flashy. Well, you but, know, they're real athletic yes. and so on. But, you know, there's there's a basis for, for competition and, and how the body works and, a lot of the stuff that I see, I don't, uh, I don't appreciate that much, just because I'm, I like the, like the real deal. But I was not a kata person in my early years. I was just, a, I was just a fighter, and I liked kata, but I just wasn't good at it. I, I, I wasn't always the most limber. I didn't enjoy it as much. But then, as later years, probably after, when I was a knee on or second degree black belt, all of a sudden I start realizing that um, better I was at kata the more clean my sparring was. Okay. And people don't realize that. So when you see a, a real good karate person, they're rounded off. Their kata and their kumite are both strong. And if they're not, they're going to be weak somewhere. So um, kata is very supportive of, of sparring. And what are some of the, the weapons that Shotokan uses? Nothing. You don't do weapons at no. all? Karate, oh. karate means empty hand. Some people kind of forget that. Well, I, know, I, yeah. I realize that, but I've also seen a lot of karate schools that use weapons. That's why I wasn't sure. Well, that's so. why things have kind of gotten off track. But, you know, uh, that's what the, the base of karate was empty hands. So there's, and people go like, well, there's weapons. And I said, no, in karate, in actual karate, there are no weapons. Nice. I like that. If you're approached by a friend or a, a parent and they're asking for advice on, you know, we're thinking of getting our, our child in martial arts or I'm thinking of joining martial arts, what type of tips, what type of advice would you give them on what to look for in a school and in an instructor? I tell them two things, basically. I said, go in there and look at it. And if it, if it looks good to you and makes sense, using your common sense, it's probably good. If something you're, if you kind of question it, then you have a good reason to question it. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing, going on the floor, doing somersaults and, you know, giving them candy and, or whatever. <laughs> and number two is be very leery of contracts. That's what, that's what really um, ruined the business because even in the local area, different businesses would come in. I won't name any names, of course, but this is, this is everywhere. There was always a standard to and which I've maintained, which probably cost me a lot of business, but I, I've, I've always held a standard for rank. And of course, everybody wants to be, be the black belt. And every parent wants to say, yeah, Johnny got his black belt, whatever. They don't, they don't care what he did to earn it. <laughs> but what has happened was, is that people, a lot of these martial arts schools will come into town and their whole criteria is get them in. It's like buying, selling them timeshare. They get them in an office do the big sales pitch on them. And well, yeah, if you get, um, you know, Mikey and Michelle in here, we'll put them in our black belt program and we'll, you know, do this uh, $5,000 contract. We'll guarantee them their black belt in 18 months or two years. All you have to do is just pay that money. And which really ruined the, uh, the whole respect of rank. Yes. And then, and plus it's really hurt a lot of people financially. I don't know. Some people have challenged these contracts because as you know, let's say your child wants to get into get into some martial arts, get into a school. I mean, the average life of a beginning student is probably three months. You know, I've gone through, I don't even know how many hundred thousand students. 
and over the, over the last 45 years. And they just don't last that long. And then there, there you're stuck with this 18-month contract. And, and that's, that's pretty sad. So use common sense. Don't sign a contract. Yeah. Those are my two tips of advice to give you the short story. Uh, unless there's very clearly ways to get out of that contract, right. but there usually right. isn't, right. as you said. And, and a lot of those schools, unfortunately, you know, that's where the nickname McDojo has come from over the last oh, exactly. decade. It's no, you know, get I've them had, in, get them out, fast food. And what's 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 bad is what I feel bad is for the students, and this is just children, adults, mm-hmm. they'll call me and they say, yeah, well, we've been doing this um, certain martial art for a long time and He's got his whatever belt, and I'm a black belt, and we want to join into your school, and do we have to start over? And I go, well, let's just have you come in, you know, wear, wear your rank, and we'll take a look at it. We, we'll do what's called a rank adjustment if we need to. But I'll see people come in that, even even black belts over the years, and I'll say, well, why don't you show me your uh, your kata or your form or your pattern or whatever you would call it. We call it katas, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, then this is a black belt. This, is, this has been a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I just can't remember. And I'm going, oh my gosh. I got students that will sometimes get together, black belts that I've had 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they'll do their kata from 30 years ago. <laughs> I mean, because you had to do it hundreds and hundreds of times. And, and you don't you don't forget that. I still remember it. Was it hand shown on? Yeah, yeah sure. I still remembered it. Well, <laughs> I haven't done certainly. it in 30 years. Yeah. So that's where things have gone. Things have gone downhill. So I... You know, I have all the respect for, I'm not critical of other styles or whatever, just because their names are different. What I am critical about is technique and standards, right. which is which is being lost. And it's really ruined the industry. I know we had a, one of the schools I trained at, you know, where I am. And 15, 20 years ago to battle the whole contract thing, took out a big ad and, and like the take home things for kids that they get at school. And basically said, if your child is stuck in a contract at a martial arts school that you don't enjoy, Bring us the contract and you can finish out at our school no charge until the contract's up. And gained a lot of students that way. <laughs> really? Yep. Yeah, it was a really good marketing thing. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't in it for the money. He did it to teach and it was traditional school and stuff like that. And probably gained about 70, 80 students out of that oh. deal. So, and some of them stuck with it, which yeah. is good. But, you know, the parents were frustrated. They had to pay for it anyway. Yeah. So, might as well go to a better school. So, well, one thing is over the last years, and part of it was because I had to. You know, I changed things. I relocated. I was at this dojo downtown for mm-hmm. 27 years and before that other words. But the last years, I don't see, I don't see the near the numbers that I used to. It's, it's really, and, and it's kind of spread out, but a lot of it is, I think a lot of people, families and so on, they've had some bad experience with martial arts schools. Mm-hmm. And just because of the, of the contract and this and that, it's really damaged the business. Do you see less kids or less adults nowadays or both? Well, both, but okay. mostly the last, oh, seven, eight years for sure, less adults. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're just, uh, and I don't, I don't know. People are busier now, but yet they have time for other things. They're, they're just, there's so many things in recreation to choose from. Right. And I think sometimes that commitment kind of scares people away. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're going to do what you got to do what I mean, minimum twice a week. I mean, you know, when I did, of course I was different, but it was six days a week sometimes. And then it was sometimes even noon classes. But, um, and I had students like that too, that were just phenomenal, but you just don't find those people that often anymore. Well, there were many times where I was training seven days a week yeah. <laughs> when I was getting ready for my black belt test and stuff. Oh like, yeah. 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 Then you're, then you're, 
but I was, I was young. I didn't have, I wasn't married. I had no yeah. kids. I had yeah. literally no free, you know, I had all the free time in the world to just train. So it's different. So, so let me ask you this in all your years in the martial arts, is there a, a specific philosophy that you've gained or maybe one or two that really holds dear to your heart or maybe a specific philosophy that you really impress upon your students? Is there one that stands out? Well, um, no, I mean, I could tell some story and sound good and philosophical, but I've always been a common sense kind of guy. I always tell them the one thing is if you are whatever you're, you're this is in training mm -hmm. as an instructor, whatever your weakest area is. I mean, if you're weak in your kata or you're working work, your certain sidekick or round kick or whatever, go back and do that and, and do that because then you get through that and that, that's your problem area and your problems when you, overcome those, those problems make you stronger. That's the one thing I found out, especially doing kata. I was really challenged with that. And um, that was a, a real issue for a long time. And then finally, I, t I go, I got to do this. And I put that, made that a priority. And then everything else got better. Right. Kind of like back to the basics type thing. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And a couple of fun questions just to wrap it up. Maybe is, is there a favorite martial arts book that either you really enjoy that you maybe reread or you recommend well, you know, to people? My, my early years, it was, um, you know, Gichin Funakoshi. He was the kind of the guy that from Okinawa introduced karate to Japan mm -hmm. in the early, uh, it was like the 1921, 22, whatever. I think it's a little paperback and I, I make all the students that are, are testing, especially kids for black belt. They have to read this little book. And it just kind of gives you some neat history. I actually still have that because you recommended it to me when I was, when oh, I, really? was one of my last classes with you because I was leaving for college and I asked about a book recommendation. I think, and I'm pretty sure I still have that Kichin Funakoshi oh, paperback sure. somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, that was neat. Yeah. It's a good book. Yeah, well, one thing about, um, no, I forgot what I was going to say is that, uh, here it is. This is one thing I've always told students, which I realized through myself because people go and practice and they train mm -hmm. and you train and you do this kick and you do this thing. And this is one thing that's unique about Shotokan karate because it makes you dig in deeper. You have to change things. You can't just go, okay, I can do this punch. I can do this kick. I can do this kata, whatever. But if you constantly do it the same, you don't change. You have to change things to improve. If you don't make changes, you stay the same. And a lot of people, practice and they just do the same thing. This is the way I do it. And that's all there is to it. And some people can, and, and I went through this, I had it in my head, this is the way it was going to be. And then all of a sudden I found out from like Mr. Funakoshi or uh, Mr. Yaguchi says, team, it must change, must change, not same. And, and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Well, then finally I realized you, you have to change things. Well, oh, really? <laughs> and, and I tell people that you, you, because you get stuck in that mode. Yep. It's like a runner, you run and you just run and this is what you do. You don't change your technique and just, just you know, just a certain analogy, but you have to look how to change things because you have to change to improve. That makes a lot of sense. It does. And, and as simple as that sounds, a lot of people can't do it. Well, I think a lot of people too, a lot of instructors, you've, you've heard it time and time again, do a kick a thousand times to perfect it. Do it, you know, do this a thousand times. Well, it can't be, like you said, it can't be the same way nope. a thousand nope. times. No. Nope. That's exactly it. But I think that's what they're hearing when they hear that. that exactly. People and, say that. and that is part of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. how many times have I done that? You know, even our training camps, our big deal was like 500 kicks and mm -hmm. thousand punches and this and that. But then pretty soon you're just, you got to be careful what technique you're developing. Cause you can, if, you, if your mind's not into it, you can, you can either develop a good technique 
or a thousand times you can develop a bad technique. So well, plus, I think if you try to do it the same way a thousand times, well, that's just it. the last half are going to get lazy. Right. Yep. Yep. And kind of final question, maybe two, depending on your answer. Do you have a favorite martial arts TV show and or favorite martial arts movie? Maybe like a guilty pleasure. If it's on, you just got to sit and watch it. Oh, you know what? I I can't say that I do. I mean, some of the stuff is, is fun to watch, but it's it's not real stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and people go like, oh, that's real stuff. Well, I don't know. You see some neat techniques, yeah. and some neat uh, demonstrations, but no, I don't have a favorite. How about this one? Is there one that stands out as you think is at least the most real as far as, you know, I know, um, that, I know there's some that depict other some, certain styles much better than others. Any any that stand out or you think maybe a specific martial artist on screen really you know, shows what it's about? I, you know, there probably is, but I don't, I don't pay it a whole lot of attention. Well, that's just, good though. I just, I, there was one movie and, and I, 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 someone brought to karate camp years ago it was called black belt something. It was a bunch of kind of karate guys. They were mostly Japanese that were, uh, um, it was the real deal. There was no like special effects or whatever. Yeah. And I, I can't think of the movie, but that was kind of fun to watch because it was the real deal. And these guys, probably some of those guys got hurt doing what they did, but it was, there was no special effects. And I thought of one more final question, just opinion question, being a traditionalist all these years, what are your thoughts on something like the UFC and like professional MMA type fighting? Well, that's, that's a whole different thing. It's like basketball and football or whatever. I mean, it's really, of course they punch and kick and so on, but they're, it's totally different than what karate is. Karate is more technique orientated and um, from the technique you can become a good become a good fighter, but that's not the motivation where this is the motivation is to, you know, beat the heck out of the other guy. And some of these guys are good athletes. You know, I the only thing is is that uh, it hurts. People watch this stuff and you know, after being punched and kicked thousands of times myself, it hurts and you don't always heal. You know, I've got some permanent injuries. Yep. And these guys, they're and it's in a, I'm not criticizing them, but the fact of the matter is they're going to have permanent injuries. But, you know, that's what our society loves to watch combat. And they love to watch someone get hurt. Yes. Which is really weird. That's just the way it is. No, I, I agree. And, and I mean, and luckily the sport has changed. I mean, because I, I, I started watching it back in the 90s when mm-hmm. it was, there was literally no rules. And I mean, that was a lot more brutal. And it's still dangerous now, obviously, but it, at least they've put in the safety things that, you know, for yep. the safety of the athletes, yeah. which is good. So, no, it's rough stuff. I wish these guys well. I'm glad I don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I judged it before. Yeah. No interest in getting in there. That's for sure. That's, and I can take a hit. I mean, I was yeah. luckily I was born with a strong head, but. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I've had enough. Been there, done that. Maybe it was 30 years ago. I might have a little different opinion. But. Kind of the same for me. So, well, I just want to thank you, sir, for taking the time to sit down with us and, and talk a little bit about yourself. And and uh, and if there's any any links, if you want me to put a link for your school in the show notes, I can do that. Let people know to check it out. Yeah, just uh, Central Minnesota Karate. I started officially started the business in 1976, so I've been around for a long time. That's about all I got to give. That's a good traditional martial art. So check it out for sure. So thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.